Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. Well, God is awesome. And um, I've got to title my messages, uh, God Has No Problems, Only Plants. And uh, I want to, again, focus on faith and focus on um, building our faith because the attack is against our faith. And we don't realize it a lot of times. It's a slow fade where we just kind of, we start to live hopeful. We start to get despondent after that. And then we just, we stop believing in certain situations. All of us have areas where our faith gets attacked. And um, it never, ever stops. The devil is relentless in attacking your faith. Because faith is the key. The Bible says the just shall live by being really good people. By, you know, what is it? By one thing, faith. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For we must believe that he is. So he is who he says he is. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And even seeking God, genuinely seeking God, not out of duty and obligation, but genuinely seeking God, requires us to come to him on his terms and believe who he is. If we settle for anything less than that, we won't seek him. We won't diligently seek him. It, it, it falls off because duty and obligation only goes so far. There will be something that will always trip you up. There will be something that you will say, you know what? No, enough's enough. I'm done doing my duty here when it's about that. But when you are captivated by who he is and you know who he is, his nature and his character it will get you through anything, and you will be able to respond by faith because God's kind of faith lifts us out of earthly things that hold us down. Heaven's not in a panic because God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. We get in panics, pandemics, different things, all kinds of different situations. Run, a, run amok a lot of times in life, but... Heaven has a constant, and God always has a solution. God is always working a plan in the midst of everything. And I love this with the Word of God because we see it over and over and over again. And uh, I want us to go to Luke uh, 22. We're going to start at verse uh, 7. And um, we're going to look here at Jesus. He's our greatest example. And... Um, And I love this account. We're going to look at this here um, in terms of uh, the Last Supper. Now, what I want us to see in all that we're looking at today is there is something that heaven is doing and there is something that is happening on earth. And when we grab a hold of things by faith, the two collide. And it fulfills the purpose of God. Now, what I also love about God is he doesn't 
always unfold. Well, I don't know if I love this part, but I love that everything does work out. God can take something where in the natural it doesn't look like it's planned, and you stumble upon it, and it's like you look back after and you think, there was a plan here, but it wasn't my plan. Aren't you glad? I know I'm very glad because most things in life I stumble upon. And uh, in walking with God, you do. You just fall into a lot of things. And we're going to see in this account here, this, we're going to look at the death of Jesus and, and uh, the Last Supper and all of these things. And there was no preparation for one of the most important things that was going to happen in the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at this. There was preparation, but not in the natural. We'll see this here. Let's go first. Let's look at it. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. So I want us to understand really briefly. I mean, I could go into a whole teaching on this, but for hundreds of years, they had celebrated the Passover, which was pointing to Jesus. And it just so happens on the very night they're doing Passover, Jesus, the, the last Passover lamb, is going to be sacrificed. It didn't happen just randomly whenever. It happened on the feast of Passover. God was foretelling of this for hundreds of years, and Jesus is excited here. He says, he says, he says Jesus sent Peter and John ahead of him, and he said, go and prepare the Passover meal so, so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter into Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him, and at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So here this guy doesn't even know. He's got the room already set up. He just knows he's carrying a pitcher. He's getting water that day. But Jesus already knew his father's plan in the midst of this. And he's like, you're going to see this guy. Go ask him. He's going to be ready. You tell him this. He's going to know. And we're, you're going to go in there. It's going to be done. How many like that kind of planning? Pretty cool, eh? They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, he's seeing two parallel worlds. He's saying, I'm doing this here. I'm fulfilling what needs to be done here. But... The next time I eat this, I'm going to be doing it in front of the very throne of God. I'm going to present my blood as the final sacrifice. The Bible says he entered into the holy of holies in heaven. He presented it before God. And it says we can come boldly into that throne because of that blood. Amen? Awesome. So we see two parallel worlds happening here. And what I want us to see through all of this there are still two parallel worlds. God's world has a plan. This world doesn't. 
Corey Ten Boone quote, I just was reading a bunch of hers this week, was really inspired. She says, you know, she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look inside, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you will be at rest. Because you can rest when you follow his plan. Because he doesn't have problems. He only has plans. And they're good. If you want to live a stressed out life, that's your choice. If you want to control your whole life, that's your choice. But you, there is a better way. There is a better way. And this is the way. <laughs> so he says here, he says, then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink the wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant. Now, I want us to understand this. In the Passover meal, they always had one cup that was set aside, and they never touched it. And that was to signify the Messiah, signify his coming. And Jesus took that cup on that Passover meal, and he said, today, this is where he, he declares. He says, um, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which... Um, is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us, among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. So in the midst of this, there's a betrayer. And you know, one of the biggest things you're going, to have, you're going to have to deal with in life is betrayal. And as a believer, you, your heart is open to God and you, you, you become more vulnerable. And the hardest thing to deal with is betrayal. Because, you know, everyone should know better. And there, there are so many different ways you can be betrayed. But Jesus himself had one of his very own 12 that were walking with him that he poured into for that whole time. And in the end, he betrayed him. He knew betrayal. He knew tremendous betrayal. And so the disciples, of course, were shocked. But then, I love this. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Wow, Jesus is just about to leave. He's poured his life in them. He's thinking, oh, I, I've just about got these. No, he's not thinking I've just about got these guys ready. He's listening to them talk about who's going to be the greatest among them. They're not getting it. <clears throat> and then it says here, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over uh, their people, yet they are called, um, 
lord over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. It's that topsy-turvy kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. So the greatest one is the least, and the, 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 the one who should be doing the most, uh, the highest rank should be serving. And it says here, um, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus himself is saying, and then we, we're not going to see it in this account, but he began to watch uh, the, the disciples' feet as well in this whole time because he wanted to demonstrate his last act was serving, pouring his life out. He demonstrated that. He says, you have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the the 12 tribes of Israel. So here, again, Jesus is looking at a parallel kingdom, how many of us are looking into eternity and sometimes in decisions that we're making in our everyday? You know, so many times we can be living for now, 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 not realizing that what we sow here affects even eternity. The Bible says when we sow treasures here, we're sowing them in heaven as well. That when I'm sowing into, I'll use an example, Christ for all nations. Daniel Clendon's ministry, Bill and Kathy, when they're reaching souls and those souls are going into eternity, I get part of that reward. Why? Because I've partnered with them. The heaven sees it that we share the same reward. You're looking at me like, I don't know. It's in there. Read it. It is there. And so heaven has a different perspective, and, and we need to keep that heavenly perspective when we're doing certain things. We're not just living for the now. If, if, if you're living for just now, you're, you're so short, shortchanged. Because God has so much more. And this is what the disciples were doing at that time. They literally thought Jesus was going to come on an earthly throne. They thought, you know, even Judas Iscariot thought he wasn't betraying Jesus. He literally thought, I'm going to show them who this Jesus is. And Jesus is going to go, come on, come on, boys. Let's kick some butt. Let's get on that throne. And they thought they're going to rule on this throne with him in Jerusalem. And, and then, you know, this kingdom was going to come. That's what they thought. But Jesus had a topsy-turvy plan. And he's telling them about it. And they're not listening. He had told them several times, he's going to die. This is how it's going to happen. And they weren't hearing it. And so there's hope for us, people. There's hope for us. There's some things we're not hearing, but you know what? God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. And you and I aren't a problem. He knows how to get past us and get his plan in place. 
And we're going to see this with Peter. Peter always gives me hope. Simon, Simon. This is what he gets. This is the next thing he says. Or Simon, which is Peter. He says, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have said, no, you will not do it in the name of Jesus. What does it say? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. The attack is on our faith. The devil is a jerk. Okay, he's a wimp. He's a loser. He's sneaky and conniving, but he's not strong. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but he is not a roaring lion. So Jesus is saying to Peter, he's saying Satan, Satan desires to sift you. He's wanting to sift all of you, but I've prayed that your faith would fail not. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Here we go. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Anyone else here been self-deceived? We all have many times. We all think much more highly of ourselves than we ought to think many times. We all think, I've got this in the bag, and we go there, and it all crashes. We're like, what happened here? Well, first of all, it's not God's problem because God has a plan. So what is it? In this case, Jesus saw right through Peter, and he was able to speak to him in that. And so it says here, this is what Peter said, but Jesus said, Peter, he says, let me tell you something. And this is why it's important for us to spend time with God praying. Because he can talk to us about these things. If we don't spend that time with him, and we just go charging into, like Judas Iscariot, because see, Judas Iscariot had the same opportunities, but he did things behind the scenes, and he was hidden, and he was secretive. And therefore, he could stay deceived. Peter kept things in the forefront. And he, when his mistakes were made, Jesus could speak to it. Whenever we hide things in the dark, that's where the devil dwells. And that's where we give him power. But when we bring it to the light and allow God to work in it, he can speak to us even hard things that we don't want to hear. And in this case... This is a word Jesus is giving Peter, and Peter doesn't like it. In fact, Peter doesn't believe him. He says here, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. So how many remember that account where he sent them out two by two and, and 
things just opened up. Well, now he's changing the narrative. He's saying, okay, now, guys, it's not going to be that way. So in other words, we can't even put God in a box and say, well, he did it this time. He's always going to do it this way. It's like sometimes he's going to say, no, guess what? Plans changed. We don't like it. We like to just, this is the way it works, and this is the principle, and this is what happens. The outcome is always good with God, but the way it happens can change. We see this consistently throughout Scripture. He says here, but now he said, take your money and your traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. So now we get to this next part. Jesus, it says here, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not be given into temptation. So how many think this is probably a pretty important time? This is like the final grand finale for Jesus before he exits. Now, they don't know it, but he does. And he's like, guys, you need to pray so you don't fall into temptation. So he walked away, about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And that is the cross life. There is a path that God has, and it isn't always the most convenient. But it is his will, not mine. And that is not fun most of the time in our Christian walk. That's the cross life. When Jesus says you pick up your cross daily and follow me, that's what he was meaning. Not my will, your will be done. Then an angel from heaven, I love this, appeared and strengthened him. See, because his disciples were not there for him. We're going to see this as we read on. This is one of their monumental moments where they didn't come through. Anyone had, the building's not going to crash, don't worry. The, the wind's blowing it, the vinyl's crackling, but it won't explode. We're good. <laughs> Only two more weeks, there will be. <clears throat> so it says that an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So we're talking anguish. We're talking like travailing prayer. And like this is Jesus. At last he stood up again and he returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Many have ever been in the, those times where you just, you know it's like weighty. And it's like you, you can't even pray. You literally just fall asleep. Thank you, Nathan. One honest person in here. No. <laughs> you, you hit those points, and it's like you think it's the time, well, I just need to sleep. No, it's actually the time you need to probably pray the most. And, and they didn't. 
they were sleeping. And she says, why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not be given into temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Jesus walked, Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. So they were just ready. They thought this is the chop suey moment, right? And then he's going to kick butt and get on that throne. And, um, and, he, and Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed them. So one last healing before he leaves. But he says, no more of this. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. He says, am I so dangerous a revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So he's saying this is the moment that is supposed to happen. I'm, I'm yielding to you. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. See, what I want us to see in all of this is there is not a problem. There is only a plan. But many times it looks like a problem. In Peter's eyes, it was a problem. It's just not going the way that we had planned. Even Judas Iscariot. Jesus did not respond the way he thought. And he went away in grief, and then he killed himself. But there was a plan. So they arrested him, led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire. Now, I want us to see something here. They led him to the high priest's home. This was an unjust, even the whole um, trial for Jesus was totally not called for. It should never have been at the high priest's home. It wasn't even supposed to be at this time. It wasn't even legal what they were doing. But they just called it and they just randomly did it. So it was unjust. And Jesus dealt with that. And you guess what, guys? In life, we are going to be in lots of situations where it's unjust. Where systems and structures even that were supposed to protect us may not protect us. But guess what? It's not a problem when God has a plan. Not a problem. God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. So Peter followed from a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be, the, be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
It's like heaven's alarm clock to Peter was a rooster. God's like all of creation God uses. At that moment, the Lord turned. Guys, this must have been the worst day ever in Peter's life. Because this is the thing with God. God has us go through some pretty painful things. But he's doing it to get to our heart. And he's doing it to get to the heart of the matter. And in Peter's case, Peter did not even know himself. But but Jesus was trying to get to Peter and say, look, Peter, this is what you're going to do. But you're going to come out of this. But this is where you're at right now. And Peter... When the Lord turned and looked at Peter, suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard and wept bitterly. He, like, literally, you know, he's betrayed the Son of God. Like, publicly, in his, in his worst moment. Because when we read on, which we're not going to do, they were beating him. They were spitting on him. If you've watched The Passion of the Christ, you see it. It was horrible, horrible, horrible what he went through. And Peter wasn't there for him. The very thing he took pride in, I'm going to be there till the end. I'm going to be there. He was in his own mind if it went the way he wanted. Come on, guys. What if this thing doesn't go the way we want? What if it doesn't become a gospel of convenience, but a gospel of so much sacrifice, we've never known that sacrifice before? What if it requires that from us? What if rights are taken away and this thing swings a whole other different direction? Are you still going to follow him? Are you still going to love him? Peter did do that. We see this in the account of, of Peter um, later on in, um, in Acts. But, but what I want us to see is, um, let's go to Matthew 27. Because Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the, the new church age begins, who is the preacher? Someone shouted out, Peter! So he didn't stay wallowing. He didn't stay in a place of grief. He came out of that and he, he moved on. To the point where he died, when he died, history books show this account over and over, he died crucified, even not worthy to be crucified right side up. He was crucified upside down. And you know what they did to him? They crucified his wife before him, and he got to see that. Talk about gruesome. But he stayed faithful to the end. Amen? Why? Because God doesn't have problems. He only has plans, and his plan is good for you and me. Amen? And whatever we're stuck in, He's getting us out of that. He is getting us out of that. 
That's what I love about God. But I want us to see something. It was, okay, Matthew 27, 45. So I want us to see here. This is where Jesus is just before he dies. And um, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. I'm not going to say it because I won't say it right. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. So we see all this chaos, right? Some people are thinking this, some people are thinking that. It's dark. There's all of this. But in the midst of even this chaos, God is working. Then Jesus shouted it again, and he released his spirit. Another account of it says he, he declared, it is finished. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. And it's a thick, thick curtain, not one that's easily, you know, a wind blows and it rips, right? It is a thick curtain, and it was ripped. It's like God said, no need for this anymore. This earthly pattern, done. It was ripped in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks split apart. Look at this. Um, and tombs opened. And the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Wow, that's way better than most movies you see, okay? Come on. It's like shaking, it's, it's, and boom, people are popping out of graves. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, so they didn't stay in the cemetery, okay? This is like a, it's not, I don't think they would have been like zombies, they would have been fully, like, full of life, totally healed, right? God doesn't partially heal you. But they, they, they didn't even stay there. They went in to the holy city of Jerusalem, and they appeared to many people. <laughs> <Ta -da! laughs> it's like, godly grandma is back, better than ever. Woohoo! You're, and you know they're wet. They've got familiar places. They're like, okay, yeah, I wonder if Rhoda still lives over there. You know, they're going over there. Ta-da! <laughs> Could you imagine? I know some people, if they got raised from the dead like that, it would have been the greatest prank going. And they would have been doing it all over the place. But uh, these were godly men and women, so they probably weren't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I want us to see here is this is a moment that is so dark. It is so, like, looking like it's the opposite of what Jesus should have been doing. And even in the darkest moment, there was still so much life coming out. 
that when, when he rose from the dead, there was so much life that still oozed out of him that it rose people out of their graves. Like, boom, boom, boom. That's how much life he had in him. We're like, oh, I, I just hope Jesus, I just hope he, he is doing things. It's, am I in cooperation? Am, am I moving with him? If, I, if I'm not in his boat, like we're, we're complaining, but it's like, get in his boat. What, see what he's doing. Because he's doing something. And look, look at this. The Roman officer, an ungodly, evil man, because they were known to be that way, and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. Okay, guys, these are like, how many have seen those gladiator movies, okay? The guys at the front lines that are like the ones that are killing everyone, they're, they got, they're like cold, mean, tough guys. An earthquake doesn't scare them. This wasn't a normal earthquake. People are popping out of graves. Okay, we're talking, they're like, rocks are splitting open. These guys, it says they were afraid at all that happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. Okay, that's a moment that they didn't expect. So then among them were Mary Magdalene, the mother of Jesus. And so, um, and, and the mother of James and John, sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, it's another thing I want us to see. As evening approached, we see here, Jesus hasn't prepared his tomb. This is the most important act. This is the final, his final resting place of the greatest act that he's ever going to do is the cross and his burial. And he, what's, what's up with this? It's not like he planned months in ahead and did an installment plan where he got his, his tomb ready and it's like he, he didn't have all of that. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying that God isn't restricted to our earthly planning. If he messes up the plan, it wasn't his plan in the first place. It was a problem. And he wants his plan in the midst of that. So if it all gets messed up, the Bible says what can be shaken will be shaken, so that which cannot be shaken will remain. If something's shaking, let it shake. Because if it's shakable and it falls off, it needs to. Because we only want that which cannot be shaken to remain. But we don't like that. We don't like that plan <laughs> a lot of times. But Jesus here, it says here, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went. Oh, wait, sorry. As evening approached, verse 57, a rich man from Arimathea, I think, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. And, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. So we're talking, this is like designer tomb, okay? Tombs that were carved out of 
a rock were like deluxe. Okay, this is like meant for someone with money and wealth. So Jesus doesn't even have a plan, but he has a plan. And puts it on this man's heart to give up his tomb. And he does it. That's the plan. Seems weird, but that's how God did it. So they went. They took the body. And it says here, um, they placed it in the new tomb, which had been cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Um, and then people were there waiting at the tomb. We're not going to go... Um, into the rest of this. But what I want us to see in the midst of this is, is heaven had a plan. And even though it looked like chaos and it looked like how is this ever going to make any sense, all along the way, heaven had its plan and it unfolded. How many want to live like that? Because this is what I see in the days coming. We're like, oh, I hope this topsy-turvy stops and all of this uh, you know, weirdness stops, and everyone's like, once the pandemic's gone, then that's it, you know, we'll be back to normal. No, we won't. Nothing will be back to normal. First of all, what is normal? We're not going to go there. But the thing is, I believe more than ever, we are going to have to know where our faith is rooted and established, and we need to be secure and at rest that heaven has a plan in the midst of whatever we encounter. Amen? And, and this is where our resting place needs to be. If we can go to 2 Corinthians, or is it 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, sorry. I can't read my, my, uh, my notes. <clears throat> I love this. This is Paul speaking, okay? When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, and I, and, I, and I want us to understand this from Paul's perspective. He says, I don't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. Okay. We have to know who's saying this. Paul was a brainiac. Okay. We're talking scholar of scholars. The guy like had the Bible probably memorized most of it. What knew and followed every bit of the law was a, one of the strictest of Pharisees. Okay, if anyone could have held on to something, Paul could have. And Paul comes to this conclusion. He says, I've decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and pers persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this. This is why he did it. So that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. If, if, any, if there ever was a day that we needed the power of God in our lives, it's now. We don't need earthly wisdom. We got a lot of smart people that aren't smart. They're wise, 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 and they got all this knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it, and they don't know what to do with it. They're very smart, but they're not doing much with it. Wisdom from God is knowledge 
that can be applied. It's doing the right thing at the right time to get the result, right result the right way. It's knowing in every moment. It's with that knowledge doing something with it and allowing something to, to come out of it. And so Paul was, understood this, and he says here, yet I am among mature believers. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. So in other words, God had a, a plan from the very beginning. But the rulers of this world didn't know that. They're like, let's just get this guy in the ground. Satan and all of his cohorts are like, just get him in the grave. Once we get him in the grave, we got him. And Jesus was like, multiplication is going to happen. I am going to be that seed in the ground. You didn't listen to that sermon that I was talking about, you know, when I walked the earth. But he said that seed's going to be planted and it's going to multiply. And he says here, but the rulers of this world, if they uh, have not understood it, if they had, they would not have crucified the glorious Lord. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But... But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. In other words, it's not a mystery anymore. He wants to reveal these things. Amen? For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Amen? So we've been given the spirit. Remember I talked about this last week. You know, because... Nicodemus wanted all of this, and Jesus was like, no, unless you're born again, unless you're born of the spirit... You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter into the things that the kingdom of God has. It is by the Spirit. It is the empowering of the Spirit. It is the supernatural working of the Spirit. It's not positive thinking and all of these other things and living a higher elevated life. <laughs> all of that. That's not a Christian. A true follower of Jesus has his Spirit in them. And they're led by that spirit. And that spirit searches amongst all kinds of stuff. Confusion and everything else that goes rampant all the time. He can, in the midst of that, go, this is what I'm doing. Boom. This is what's going to happen. Boom. And that's what we need to be in the midst of these things. Are we that? No. Feelings and this and following a person and following all kinds of things. And God's like, no, I'm going to bring you back to myself. You're going to start following. I'm going to strip these things off of you. Because that's a problem. I have a plan. That's not a problem for me. But I, here's my plan in the midst of it. 
And it says here, he searches. He says here, but people who, um, it says, when, when we tell you these things, verse 13, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what it, the Spirit means. And those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated for, for, by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So this is what I, if I can have the worship team up. This is what I want us to see uh, and what I want the take home to be for today. And I want us to be asking ourselves as we're going about everyday living is asking yourself, what is heaven doing? What is heaven doing? What is heaven's plan? Instead of being so stuck on what's in front of us, and you, you know, we're hearing lots of that on all kinds of fronts, and the effects of it, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, and I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying I'm not going to let that rule my whole life. I'm not. Let's move on. Because God has a plan in the midst of it. Amen? And he doesn't have us sitting parked, afraid, and wondering, can I do anything? No, we will always be moving. When we move with God, we're at rest, and we move in faith, and we do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And we rest in a place of security. Amen? That's what he has for us. You have the mind of Christ. If you've received Jesus, if you follow him and follow his spirit, you have the mind of Christ. You're like, oh, I got so much confusion. I got so much. Then come into his presence and allow him to strip that off of you because in his presence, that's where he brings fullness of joy. That's where he brings refreshing. That's where he brings peace. That's where he brings everything that we need. And he can strip off those things that have tried to attach themselves to you. We can be changed. Peter wept bitterly when he made a huge, huge mistake. One that he thought he would never do. He wept bitterly and he went and he had that time. But he was changed. And he preached the first message of the early church. He, he was able to step up to the plate in a very crucial moment again. And do the right thing. Changed. Amen. So I want us to, I want to just pray um, for all of us. First of all, I want to pray for those uh, here or online. Um, if you don't know Jesus, because as I said earlier with that quote from Corey Ten Boom, you know, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. And if you look inside, you're going to get depressed because you're never going to measure up. But if you look to Christ, you will be at rest because he has won your battle. Jesus paid the price in full. 
for your sin problem, for everything that you deal with, Jesus stepped up to the plate and he said, I'm going to stand in your place of every sin, every wrong, everything that's been stacked against you. I'm standing in that place. And even as believers, sometimes we need to just lay things at the cross again. We've picked things up. So let's just pray that right now together. And if you are just, this is your first time giving your life to Jesus, just mean this from your heart. Just say, Jesus, I come to you. I come to the cross and I thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me, that you died for me. You paid the price for my life and you wiped away all my sin, everything that's against me, my guilt, my shame. It's no longer mine. I lay it at the cross and I thank you, Jesus, for your perfect love and your perfect forgiveness. We receive it now, Jesus. We receive it now. And we make you Lord of our lives. Lord of our lives. We go forth from this day keeping our eyes on you, looking at what heaven is doing because heaven has no problems, only plans. Only plans. Only plans. Only plans. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's draw into his presence. Now fade away. 
captivated by him today. Just declare who he is. He's so awesome. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.